0: You're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy, folks! Welcome to another podcast episode. This is Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. And uh, as you know, uh, certain podcasts, certain episodes, will do you know topics or biblical teachings on. You know different biblical subjects uh, sometimes we'll do commentary on the burning issues of the day and other times I get the chance to interview some movers and shakers in God's kingdom uh, brothers and sisters that I've had the privilege and honor uh, to serve the Lord in this great battle for the souls of men the lives of children and the future of our beleaguered nation and I have one of those opportunities uh, today, uh, I have in studio. It's only audio because Darren and I we have faces that only suit audio. <laughs>
1: That's right, A face for radio,
0: <laughs> just for radio. Mm-hmm. But I know I have my dear brother, Pastor Darren Stead. He uh, pastors Harmony Baptist Church in uh, Indiana. And uh, we're going to discuss a little bit, too, how we kind of met and how the Lord kind of joined us together. And uh, But anyway, I wanted to invite him on. Uh, he's got quite a testimony. And uh, we're going to discuss his background, uh, his conversion, how he came to Christ, and how the Lord uh, recruited him uh, into the battle, kind of how we met and how he became a part of OSA. Uh, and for those of you who may not know uh, Darren is how how long's it been brother since you've had the concussion how long
1: uh, it's been 18 months now I think since it all first started so you see this is June last last day of June here right and it yeah. happened in January of last year so. Wow. So That's is—that's is right at 18 months, I guess. Yeah.
0: OK, so we're brothers and sisters We're talking about an 18 month trial that uh, not only him personally, uh, but his wife and his precious family uh, has endured. And he's going to discuss a little bit about that, but also something precious uh, that came out of that trial uh, that I know he would never trade for the world. And uh, we'll discuss a little bit about that. And then we want to conclude uh, to put in a strong invite and plug for the Operation Save America national event in Atlanta, Georgia. And that's coming up pretty soon. Is that right, Brother Darren?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's coming up. uh, And just, man, it's coming up quicker even than I realized sitting here talking about it. It's the 17th to the 22nd. So um, just a couple, couple, three weeks here. I'll tell you what, man, when you're planning a big event like this, those last three or four weeks before the event mm. fly by. It's like they don't even happen, you know.
0: And then what's what's amazing too, brothers, that you've spent months and weeks, you know, preparing, and then you, you know, you hit the ground running, and it's amazing how fast, you know, that time just flies by where you're, you know. You're pouring out your best in service of the king, you know, and into different cities and different states. And yeah. uh, But it's a precious time. And uh, praise God, it's mm-hmm. coming up soon in Atlanta, Georgia. We'll talk more about that uh, later in the podcast. But Brother Darren, I want to thank you so much, buddy, for taking some time. Uh, to be with us here today. So what I'd like, bro, if you could just take a few moments to kind of give a little bit about, you know, your family uh, background, you know, kind of how you were raised. Uh, I, I guess, were you born and raised in Indiana, brother?
1: I was, yep. I've lived in Indiana my whole life. I've never lived in any other state. So This is, uh, I guess, born and bred. And I don't know, now that um, I have older sons that are out of the house and a couple of them are getting ready to get married. At this point, I don't know. We'll see what the Lord does. You know, but I've been in indian my whole life. So, sometime I'd like to move somewhere else just to see what it's like. You know, to well, live. We're,
0: we're working on that, Darren. We're, we're working <laughs> I on know, that. Right? <laughs> well, we won't I bring know that up it's... in this podcast. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> I, I want Karen know,
0: uh, Joe to hunt me down.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I told my wife, I said, I just I just want to know what it what it's like to live somewhere where the air doesn't burn my face in the wintertime. That's all I (laughs) want to know.
0: Amen. So, brother, give us a little background on your family. And then and and brother, um, give a little testimony of your conversion to Christ and how the Lord uh, got a hold of you.
1: Yeah, so um, so I grew up I I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana on the south side, and I grew up I had a good uh, upbringing. My parents are loved me well. I grew up in a home with both a mother and a father um, who are both tremendously concerned about the well being and upbringing of their children. Um, it was a what I would call sort of a quasi Christian home. And what I mean when I say that, it was a sort of a you know, we'd go to church for six weeks here after there was a revival, and then we'd stop going, and then VBS would happen. We'd go to VBS, and then off of that, we'd go to church for, you know, another four or five months, and then somebody'd say something that made one of my parents mad, and then we'd stop going to church and that sort of thing. And so. During one of those stretches of time, I think I was either 11, probably around 11 years old. um, It was a very strong um, Southern Baptist church that we went to and um, altar calls were a big thing in that congregation. And so one week when the pastor preached, I I was sort of being pressured by some different people in my family to walk down the aisle and say this Mm -hmm. prayer to ask Jesus into my heart. And so I, uh, I, I, I sort of did. I walked down the aisle and the pastor repeated a prayer with me and I said a prayer and then they took me off to be counseled and I got baptized. And then a few weeks later, my somebody, something happened and we stopped going to church again and I couldn't have been happier to be able to sleep in on Sunday morning. I was grateful that we weren't going <laughs> to church anymore. And so um, a few years went by after that and I was sort of, you know, Doing my own thing. I was an athlete. I wrestled and I played football, and I had lots of friends. And you know, I was I was just sort of thriving as a high school student, fornicating and you know that sort of thing, and uh, in the public school system, and um, believing that I was a Christian because I said that prayer. And then uh, the Lord blessed me to get sick with mono. And so, I don't know if you know much about mana, but I was basically laid up in bed for like six months. Wow! And um, through that, God sort of took me away from all the things that my life was all about and at the end of that i guess another piece of this i just shared this testimony in my sermon on sunday so i'll throw this in there as well i was also virtually illiterate at the age of 14 i had uh, severe dyslexia i could not i could read just a little bit and i could write just a little bit but a very very low level of writing and i had severe adhd and you read the uh, the things my parents have me seeing like psych- and all this other kind of stuff, and they would talk about, you know, you know, they'd say this guy has, you know, ama- amazing intellectual capability, but he can't read, so he's probably not going to be successful, you know, in his in his wow. academic endeavors. And so, anyway, I, at the end of that time, having mono, I uh, a friend of mine, he's a friend of mine now, Pastor Kip. At the time, he was the youth director. This was twenty-some odd years ago. He was a youth director at the church that i'd gone to growing up and so he called me and he had just taken over that position and he invited me to come to this youth event and i wasn't really excited about it but i thought i don't have anything else to do so i went and at this youth event the pastor that was preaching there presented the gospel it was a clear, clear gospel presentation Nothing that I hadn't heard before that I didn't know, but it struck me differently as I was watching the various people at this event and seeing the way that they were interacting with what was happening, the singing of the worship songs, the hearing of the preaching of the word. And as I was watching these other people around me, the thought struck me what these people mean when they say they're a Christian and what I mean when I say I'm a Christian are two very different things. Mm -hmm. These people have come here to worship Jesus and I came here because I didn't have anything better to do. And that says a lot about my spiritual condition. And so I went home that evening, and I didn't get saved that day. But I went home that evening. And over the course of the next week, I had this Bible that one of my Sunday school teachers, dear friend of my family, her name is Rhonda Millette, she gave me this Bible in like a really easy to read translation. And it's because she gave me that Bible that I got saved because I went home that evening and I opened up that Bible and thankfully I had this Bible and this translation that I could understand. And I started reading it and I started seeking Jesus. And through that, over the course of that week, I came to understand the depth of my sin and the need of my salvation in Christ. And so I repented of my sin and I put my trust in Christ. And I really, the Bible was really the first book that I ever read cover to cover. I went from being a dy- dyslexic illiterate ADHD young man who pe- the teachers and everybody talked about oh, all this potential but you know there's no way that somebody who can't read could ever be successful you know in terms of academics you know whatever and god saved me and then by the power of his spirit I began to just consume the bible and I started in Matthew, and I worked through Revelation, and then I went back through Matthew and Revelation. And then I went to Genesis and worked my way through the Old Testament, and I just loved and devoured the Word of God. And it was actually really through that that I learned to read well. Mm-hmm. And um, so God saved me. I was 14 years old, and um, it wasn't very long after that. It was maybe, probably maybe six months after that. I began uh, filling this calling to teach and preach the word of God. I was 15 years old, but I kept thinking to myself, I don't know what it means to be called because that's a big thing in the Southern Baptist world. You've got to be called into ministry. I kept thinking to myself, I don't really know what it means to be called. It's not like God has ever like come through the air vents and told me he wants me to be a pastor, you know, kind of thing. (laughs) I just have this very big desire to preach and teach his word. I was... with my friends and all this other stuff. And so I had a conversation with my youth pastor and then a conversation with my pastor basically explaining that. And they gave me the opportunity to preach and I did terrible. Um, but God gave, granted me another opportunity and more opportunities. And I sort of grew in my understanding of his word and teaching, went to Bible college. That's where I met my wife, Katrina. Um, There's a whole story behind that because I didn't want to go to that Bible college. I wanted to go to a different Bible college. And the Lord sort of forced me into going to that Bible college by his providence. Mm -hmm. And gratefully, he did because that's where I met my wife, Katrina. And uh, that was a gem
0: there, buddy. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's right, man. She is such a tremendous blessing. So I went to to Crossroads Bible College. I met my wife there in my first semester we got married, we knew each other, we met each other. Two weeks later, we got engaged and three months later, we got married. And <laughs> this shall be a was... quick
0: work and it will be marvelous in our <laughs> eyes. That's right. Man.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so many people said, this is never going to work. And but we knew she loves the Lord. I love the Lord. And we're committed to doing this. We're going in the same direction. I want to be a pastor. She wants to be married to a pastor, you know? And so it was like, okay, let's do this. And so we got married and we've been married for 20 years now. We have nine children. Hallelujah. Um the oldest is my oldest son is uh 19 um and fully raised out of the house. I don't know what fully raised really means, but you know, he's living on Are his own. Are we ever fully <laughs> raised, brother? <laughs> That's right. yeah Except I don't know. <laughs> raised
0: from the dead. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. When the Lord returns, that will be, yes, when we're fully, we'll be raised. fully raised. <laughs> so that is my son Nathaniel and then I also my son Malachi is 17, he'll be 18. Uh, in a few months here, and so, and then you know we have seven kids. My youngest is uh, eighteen months old, uh, not quite eighteen months old, fifteen months old, and so uh, that's that's how I got saved, how I ended up in the ministry, and over the course of the last twenty years, the Lord has tremendously blessed us uh, in many many
0: different ways. So. So you I guess that's my you, testimony in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, amen. So you <laughs> you 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 have this encounter uh with the Lord. He bursts you into the kingdom, he adds you to his church. You 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 do sense call God upon your life, and uh and he's directing you and you go to this Bible college, you you meet your bride, you get married, uh Lord has obviously blessed you with a queriful and, um, you're kind of going along. Um, I guess you, you, you get involved in ministry. It was, what was your first, I guess, um, hands-on ministry? Like you could say you were, you, you were in like full-time ministry. What, what, what was that first expression?
1: <laughs> well, it's kind of a funny, that's kind of a funny story. So, um, I was involved in a youth program at the YMCA on the south side of Indianapolis. And um, there was a whole group of friends that were part of that youth program, and I was already involved there when I got saved. And then all of a sudden, I was telling people about Christ constantly to the point that people thought I was weird. And so (laughs) the way this happened is we we were at a movie together one night, me and probably 20 friends from this youth program at the Y. And I had been a Christian for like three months. And I, where this speaker told a story about sharing the gospel in a movie theater because the movie reel kept breaking, and so I was sitting there, we're watching this movie. The movie comes on, and all of a sudden the wheel, the reel broke, and the movie goes off. And I thought to myself, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> and I felt impressed upon by the Spirit of God to get up and share the gospel. It's so a packed out movie theater, and then they fixed it and it came back on, and I was like, "Dodged a bullet there." And then it broke again. And I was like, oh, man. And I really felt compelled by the Spirit of God to get up and preach, but I didn't want to do it because all my friends were there and I thought I would look silly. And Mm so the movie came back on. Third time it broke, and I was like, all right, Lord, if it breaks one more time, I'll get up and preach. And so it came back on, and then it broke a third time or a fourth time. And I thought, okay. <laughs> that's it. That's it. So I'm here with like twenty of my friends. I know they're all gonna be embarrassed. They've already been embarrassed by me a good number of times. So I get up and I stand on my seat and I preach the gospel to this uh, movie theater full of people. You should go through Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, and I preach the gospel and i sit down so it like my heart's pumping and everything else and i think to myself if i can do that here in front of all my friends and these people that i don't know i can preach the gospel anywhere yeah and so I went so and several of my uh, I was surprised by the group of friends that were there with me because many of them were actually inspired by what I had done rather than being embarrassed by what I had done, which was a a tremendous work of God. And so they approached me along with a guy who was involved in uh, leading the YMCA youth ministry there. And um, together they invited me to lead a Bible study there at the YMCA for youth on Saturday nights. And so that was sort of the first. And then I started teaching youth in my youth group as well. I think I was 15 or 16. Now what the wisdom is that in that is a separate discussion. But I think I was 15 or 16 at that point, And I was at that point leading Bible studies. And we would have, I would say the biggest crowd that we ever had that I ever It went from a Bible study to more like a church service. And the biggest crowd I ever had there was probably maybe 450 or 500 youth. Wow. Um, for an event that we did, and I, I preached the gospel, and, you know, people were getting saved. But the other side of that is I was young. I had no idea how to disciple people. I was a babe in Christ myself. Right. And you know the dangers that come with that. And so the Spirit of God is just working through you to save all of these young people. And yet I had no idea how to disciple them, and, you know, or the humility to, you know, know that I needed the aid of the church, you know, to help in that whole thing. And so there's, I learned a lot in that there was a lot of positives and a lot of negatives, but that was sort of the first time that I ever like uh, was responsible or in charge of a ministry. I think I was 15, either 15 or 16 years old.
0: So, so brother, when, when did you go into a full-time pastoring? Because I remember you and I had discussions and you were telling me that you really thought the, you felt more called to be on the evangelistic field uh like in a traveling ministry um, but you kind of ended up going full-time into the pastorate so kind of kind of share a little bit of that journey buddy
1: yeah that has been one of the great wrestling matches of my whole life what you just described there i mean that has been a 20-year struggle see i'm 39 now it's been more than 20 years So I think I was 16 when I felt the Lord calling me in the ministry, I felt the Lord calling me to be an evangelist. And I had several friends that were pastors that would say, you know, I'd have conversations with them and they'd say, no, if you're going to go into ministry, you need to be a pastor, not an evangelist. Evangelist star, you know, being a full-time evangelist, that's a thing of the past. It's not a thing that really happens. I mean, if you want to do evangelism work, you become a church planner, you know, it was that type of thing. And so I did. I went to Bible college and I studied to become a pastor. And I became—I did become a pastor. I—I um, I think my first church where I was the primary, like I was the senior pastor. I think I was 28. Um, it was wow. a church restart. The pastor that was there before me had been put in prison for distributing child pornography, Ooh. and um, I went up there to thinking at 28 years old. I went up there thinking I'll get this thing restarted, you know. And instead Mm. I went up there and the Lord used those three years to really teach me a lot of humility. Um, And so that was good for me. Um, But the whole time I, and and, uh, through the course of my ministry, through the course of the last 20 years, it's something that I've really wrestled with. Um, I was, so I I was there and then I I was ordained as a pastor at Madison Avenue Baptist Church, the church that I had mentioned earlier, uh, Pastor Kip Farrar. And um, he put me through a three and a half hour ordination council, asked me all kinds of crazy questions. And I got ordained there. I think I was 26. Two years later, I went to plant that church. And then I came back. And that's where you and I met. When I came back to Aletheia, I had mm-hmm. been back at Alathea, Madison Avenue Church became Alathia. I'd been back at Alathia for about two years when you and I met.
0: No, no brother, when, when that happened, if it, correct me if I'm wrong, like you were struggling um, whether to remain uh, in the ministry or uh, to seek, uh, you know, another vocation. I, I remember you having a little bit of a struggle along those lines. So you were at a, at a crisis of the meaning of ministry, right? Um, at the point that we met, there, were, there was some of that going on, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I was in a really bad spot uh, when we met the first time. So I, um, I was serving as an elder at Aletheia. Um, and I was basically doing a lot of street ministry at that point, which I loved. I was going to the abortion mills. I'd just been involved in one of the abortion mills for like the last six months. And we had started doing like street evangelism. And it was like, man, this is why have I not been doing life? You know, like this is the thing that God called me to. And, um, So, but I was also really struggling just, I was really disconcerted with ministry in general because of some of the things that had happened over the course of the last few years, I was still struggling with a lot of what had happened in the church plant that we were in, which is a whole story. And I had sort of become uh, disillusioned with the Southern Baptist Convention for a variety of reasons. And before that, the Southern Baptist Convention had been everything about ministry to me. And so I was in a bad sort of spot there. I was excited about the street ministry, but in terms of being a pastor and pastoral ministry, um, I was really struggling. There were things happening in our church that I was struggling with. There were things happening in my family that I was struggling with, and I was really seeking the Lord, trying to figure out what to do next. And I had determined, I had a conversation with Katrina. And I, uh, on a specific day, I sat down with her and I said, I don't know what the future holds here, but I think I'm going to put my resignation in at Aletheia and I'm going to step away from pastoral ministry, at least for the foreseeable future and possibly maybe forever. Mm -hmm. And that it was that day, it was literally the same day I got a phone call from Brian Shrank. Uh, who's a faithful brother here in Indiana. I mean, it's hard to find a more faithful brother when it comes to speaking up on behalf of the pre-born than Brian Shrink. And um, he called me. I had been at the mill. he sort of prodded me, and that's a whole story. I don't know if you want to tell that whole story. By this point, I was already active in the ministry to rescue the pre-born and that sort of thing. And so he, called, he calls me and says, Hey, listen, um, Operation Save America is coming to town in three weeks, and all the planning that we were making for this event just went out the window. Some stuff has happened. (laughs) We, We thought we had a host church. Now we don't have a host church. You know, we thought we had some people that were helping us. Now they're not helping us. They just pulled out and I'm just calling to see if there's any way that you can help. And I was like, All right. Yeah, I'll help. I knew who you were. I'd never talked to you before, but I knew who you were because the film Babies Are Murdered Here had sort of helped to draw me into the battle. And so, you know, seeing that movie, it was the combination of seeing that along with some videos by Jeff Durbin and then the constant prodding of Brian Schrank that drew me into the battle. It was those three things. And so i kind of knew who you were and so that night i was on the phone with you and i we had just come out of the uh roy moore situation as well and i seen you part of that press conference they did there and so i knew who you were and so um i was on the phone with you and basically the conversation that we had was like you you reached you gave me a phone brian brian gave you my phone number you called me and you said hey brother this we're going to be there in three weeks and the lord has called us to come so we're coming no matter what (laughs) but it would be helpful if somebody on the ground could help us you know pull some things together before we get there and so i committed to help and i spent some time in prayer and i had a, another conversation with katrina i said okay i'm going to help rusty with this osa event and then after that i'm going to that'll be the last thing i do and then i'll put in my resignation and that'll be the end of it mm. well Long story short, OSA came to town. You came to town a a few days ahead of time to prepare the way. We had a meeting with Joseph Spurgeon and so forth, spent a good amount of time in prayer. And then OSA came to town. And that is sort of the first thing that blew me away because OSA coming to town was not what I expected. I thought we were hosting OSA at our church. That was sort of my involvement. I'd gone to our church and got an agreement to host, and then I was sort of laying the groundwork in Indiana and i thought man these guys are going to be a bunch of abolitionists they're going to show up and break everything and you know cause a bunch of trouble and then leave you know that's that's honestly what i thought but i thought it's okay cuz i'll enjoy being part of the troublemaking while they're here you know and then you know? get <laughs> up and so it's good troublemaking it's godly troublemaking and then osa got to town and it was not what i thought it was a bunch of older godly men a bunch of families that were assembled together to worship the Lord and working together on this project of trying to end abortion. And the level of godly maturity and wisdom that I saw in OSA blew me away. And in the course of that time, um, I had a lot of opportunity to spend over the course of those four days with you and Pastor Matt Turella, Jason Storms. And some others, and God really used that to refresh me. And then Pastor Matt preached a a sermon at that event. Matt Turella. It was the last night of the event. He preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard on leadership. Um, He went through the book of Joshua.
0: Yes, I remember um, that.
1: He he, yeah, I mean, he talked through you know how you know this fight will beat good men out of the ministry and people will lie about you and backstab you and take advantage of you and these sorts of things are the kinds of things that drive good men out of the ministry and then it's the bad men it's the wolves that stay and um his big thing in that message was a call basically to pastors to hold on and to continue to be faithful despite whatever trials or tribulations that they were going through yeah and uh God used all of that combination of everything I just said to sort of pull me back in. And so it was like, I, I, and I had a whole conversation with you and Pastor Matt afterwards. I was like, you know, I think I'm sure that that sermon ministered to a lot of other people in the room, but it really ministered well, it to me Darren, was, it, Yeah.
0: Yeah. That sermon actually even changed the makeup of the leadership of OSA. Yeah. Um, right. Like after that sermon, we, we had uh, um, a shakeup because people were convicted in different ways. So like for you, it was convicted to you know stay the course. Uh, for others, it was a conviction to step down and let younger men step up and step into the place of leadership. So that, that, that sermon, brother, was it, it had far-reaching impact not just upon some, you know, uh, us personally, but even for the leadership makeup of OSA, everything changed after that sermon.
1: Well, it's funny if you think about it, like you had mentioned that to me when we were doing the discussion about, uh, when you were here this last, last time you were here, we were meeting about the Kingdom Leadership Institute. You mentioned that. And one of the things God sort of brought together in my mind is how like everything that happened in that event. That was my first event with OSA. You asked me to speak at that event, which blew me away because I was like, I'm like the least qualified person here, you know, to talk. But I was honored to have the opportunity and I did. But in that at that. So there was changes in the makeup of OSA there were transitions that took place. And what's interesting is that the Lord used that sermon to keep me in the ministry and to keep me in the battle. And he also used that sermon because Pastor Matt was talking about the necessity of older men training and raising up younger men. Yeah. And um, God used that sermon to keep me in the fight. He also used that sermon to transition some of the older men in OSA to say, no, we need to raise up some of these younger guys. And three years later, um, Jason was appointed to be the national director, and I was appointed to be the assistant national director, one one of two assistant national directors. And I wouldn't even have been there to be appointed if it hadn't been for that sermon in 2017. And so God did a lot of things through the preaching of his word at that event. And um, he did a lot yeah. of things in me. He did a lot of things in OSA and it's kind of interesting when you sit back and look at the way that God orchestrates these things to come together, you know, um, He is always working his plan and his purpose in, in all things. And um, that lesson is always a hard lesson to learn. And God keeps, t- you know, um, yeah. but uh, that was so that that's how I got involved with OSA. And seeing the older godly men being able to interact with you, and like you and Matt, just poured into me that whole week that you were there, and it was such a refreshment for me. Um, I was really, um, I was really uh, convicted in one sense about my because I had a bad attitude that was part of what brought me to the place that I was at. So I was, I was really convicted, but I was also really encouraged to endure in the battle and to stay in the fight, and so um that 2017 osa regional event in indiana was a tremendous turning point in my ministry it's also part of going back to the question that you asked me it is part of this lifelong (laughs) tension that i have between being involved in pastoral ministry for the last 20 years versus you know evangelism which is a thing that I love and a thing that I feel more and more drawn to as I grow in my walk with the Lord. And especially after this concussion, which is something I'm sure that we'll get into. But if I could just pull up on a street corner and stand on a soapbox and preach the gospel and just do that from sunup to sundown, six days a week, I don't think people understand how satisfied I'd be with that life. You know what I mean? I would, I would love it, you know? If I could, uh, I love my church. I love Harmony Baptist church. Don't get me wrong. I love the people. We have seen God change the lives of people over the course of the last two years at Harmony Baptist church. I've been there for five, but in the last two, we have seen families, entire family generations transformed through the preaching and teaching of his word. And there's, there's something powerful about being able to be a part of that. And I'm grateful for all of that. At the same time, I really genuinely love ministering and preaching the gospel to the lost. And so that's the battle that you're talking about. It's sort of this internal battle that I'm constantly struggling with all the time.
0: So but in some ways you get to you get to experience both because you are a full time senior you know, pastor at Harmony Baptist Church. And then through OSA, you do get to travel. Uh, you you do go to other cities, other states. You do get to minister on the streets, in the culture, and even in halls of power. And so, in some ways, there is that uh, fulfillment uh, yeah. in your life. Um, does that help in a, in a ways, or do you still feel th- things are um, not quite as they should be?
1: No, I mean it helps. OSA, like what, what I saw with OSA when I got involved in OSA, and one of the things God really showed me with OSA, here's an avenue for you to pursue this. And whereas before I, I have always wanted to do evangelism, whether it be stand on the street corner and preach the gospel, whether it be stand behind the pulpit and preach the gospel, whether it be encourage the saints to minister the gospel, whatever else the case may be, I've had a passion for that over the course of my ministry and it's, I believe something that God has put in me. And so it's part of my makeup as part of who I am as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. And so OSA has really opened the door for me to be able to step into that gifting a a lot more, you know? And so I, in that sense, um, before I got involved with OSA and, and before we got involved in the work to minister the gospel on the streets and do that sort of thing, I had this I was very restricted in a certain sense because I was teaching the saints how to do evangelism and so on and so forth. You do a little bit of that as a pastor. I was preaching the gospel some, you do a little bit of that as a pastor, but there's this whole gifting that I think God has given me that I just wasn't operating in at all whatsoever and um when i started getting involved with osa it opened the door for me to step into that gifting fully and to operate in that gifting and um, that probably i mean of all things that is one of the things that i've loved the most about being involved with osa and then having other older godly men that have like like yourself that have been That have been walking in that gifting, that evangelistic and prophetic gifting, um, and seeing the way that you guys do it, and having the encouragement uh, from you guys to continue and stay the course, has been a huge blessing. This conversation that's I'm getting these updates. So yes, OSA has definitely opened the door uh, for me um, with regard to all that.
0: Yeah, Amen. So. You know, we meet, uh, we develop a relationship, and we continue to serve the Lord together, at different venues, different places, and our relationship begins to grow. And it's time for me to step down and uh, to pass the mantle onto the younger men, you know, which was Jason, you, Lucas, and eventually Matt Brock and um and so you know i stepped down and i remember my last message was further up and further in further in That's and right. um yep. and then you guys uh you know stepped into that leadership position and i know some ways it was an honor and a blessing but i also know it was you know uh, a very serious sobering you know place to be yeah. in um because you know Once you step into that position and you're effective and having impact in this battle, you do become a target. And um, there's a lot of blowback uh, that comes, especially if you're effectual in what you're doing. You know, spiritually speaking, advancing the cause and the kingdom of Christ. And so you guys, you know, you guys step up, you step in. You start to take on this mantle of leadership, and then it's just amazing. Like all three of you, all four of you, uh, you are tried, you are tested. I mean, there is uh, some serious trials and tribulations uh, that you all had to endure. You know, a little different, you know, because different, you know, men, different family and ministries, but but the attack was the same you know yeah and uh, and for you darren um it really kind of s- centered on this concussion like i you know i mean i believe there was other uh issues involved there um but uh, it seems like the concussion was the main thing that really hits you pretty pretty hard and and kind of sets you back so Can you explain a little bit, brother, how that all came about? And then I really want you to share that, you know, sort of like what the Apostle Paul talks about, you know, in my weakness, you know, God shows himself strong. And I know, brother, that that specifically happened in your life. So let's just kind of go through that a little bit, okay?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in in that intermediate time, You know, so from 2017 to 2020, when I became the assistant national director, Jason became national director, there was a lot of discipleship that happened. Like you had spent a lot of time pouring into us, teaching us, giving us opportunities to lead different events and and so forth. And through all of that, one of the things that I remember you admonishing us about, especially when when you let us both know, you know, Jason's going to be national director. And then you encouraged Jason to have Lucas and I become assistant directors. And he went with, he agreed with that, and that was sort of how all that came to be. There were many conversations where it was like, hey guys, trials are going to come on you as you take on this mantle. And I don't think that it's that we didn't take those admonitions seriously. I just think that you can't really fully understand everything that is inherent in that until you're in it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I've faced trials before. You know, and I've been involved in ministry, and there's trials that come with ministry. You know, and whatever. No, this is this is different. Like this is different. This is a higher, this is a higher degree of trial. Um, at least in
0: my life, it has been. This is a different kind of testing. It's
1: a different kind of tribulation.
0: You take it on this mantle, and sort of leading the charge against the gates of hell. You know, you do kind of become a target. And so you were sharing a little bit along those lines, brother, because I really do want to get to the part where, you know, you suffered a huge head blow and you suffered a concussion. And and then you you just gone through a lot uh, since that time. And one of my great, yes, honor and privileges, brother, is to walk walk that path with you a little bit to help walk with you, you know, during those trials. And I know, brother, that um, during that time, it was a huge struggle for you because basically all your strengths were removed and you you became very, very weak. Um, but at the same time, something very precious and very potent kind of rose up uh in your life buddy and it was so evident brother i'm just telling you it was so evident how precious the holy spirit had become in your life because pretty much that that was all you had sort of remaining you know because of all all your other strengths and serving god were just were just taken out. So brother, walk us uh, through that whole journey that process.
1: Yeah, so um, yeah, I mean, everything you just described is exactly right. I mean, we had as coming up to taking over um, as assistant director at Operation Save America. And I know Jason also a director and Lucas is the other assistant director. Uh, this is before Matt uh, came in. Um, I think both Jason and Lucas as well as myself have faced that over the course of the last two years since we stepped into this ministry where it's just like the attack of the enemy has been palpable, but also the goodness of God has been evident. And so um, in January, I think it was January of 2021, right? Let's see, this is 2020. It would have been January 2022. So my grandmother, I guess I'll back up to that from there for a minute. I don't want to take too much time here, but in December, I had really um, the Lord had really convicted me about my prayer life. And I had I was one of those attitude of prayer type of people I pray throughout the day, but not really a time of prayer. I didn't have much of a prayer closet type prayer where I would go away and just spend time communing with the Lord. In fact, I didn't even understand that language communing with the Lord. And I had God had really convicted me about that in like October, November timeframe. Um, he had used some preaching from some different brothers, including Leonard Ravenhill and Paul Washer, and, um, and some of the preaching that you had been doing on the topic. And I really had been like, I need to really look, I need to really train myself in understanding what this concept of communing with the Lord is. Because I've been a Christian for twenty five years and I don't even know what that means. And that can't be a good thing. So I had sort of been reading about and and listening to sermons on that topic and just trying to understand and searching the scriptures and so forth. And and I had really been having times in my prayer time where I was just striving to commune with the Lord. So not intercessory prayer, but just singing some songs of worship to God and just spending time alone in his presence and just striving to commune with, with his spirit. And um, so that was kind of what was happening coming up to this head injury. And so I, my grandmother in January, my grandmother and my aunt both passed away in a very quick times period. There's just a few weeks between. And I had had COVID-19 in between the two of them passing away. And my aunt's funeral was on a uh, Friday night. And it was a cold night. Uh, it's January. There hadn't been a lot of snow or ice all year, all winter that year. But I, 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 was, um, tried to, I was recovering from COVID. I was three days past, so I was no longer contagious. And I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to go down for her funeral or not. I'd been asked to speak at the funeral. I wasn't officiating it, but I'd been asked to speak. And I wasn't feeling great. And I was going back and forth about it. And eventually, I felt compelled by the Lord to go. And so I went. So, I drove down to Indianapolis, which is about an hour south of my house, and I get there and I go in and I preach the gospel at the funeral to all my family members. And I had good conversation and fellowship with them afterwards. And then there was a gathering of the family after the funeral at my aunt's house. And so I jump into my car, and in the course of the time that the funeral was taking place, it had begun to ice outside. And so it was very slippery outside. So, I go out and I get in my truck which my truck is, it's a, it's a 1500, but it's a pretty big truck. It sits up pretty high off the ground. And so I, I jumped into my truck and I drove to my aunt's house very carefully, not really thinking about it. And I get there. And I, matter of fact, I think you and I actually had a phone conversation on the way there. Um, because I was telling you about how I had gone down, we were supposed to have a different conversation than I had gone down. I really felt compelled by the spirit to go and to minister to my family. And so we talked on the phone. And then when I got to my aunt's house, I went to get out of my truck and I wasn't thinking about what I was doing. I was being very careless because my mind was just on serving and caring for my family. And so when I jump out of my truck, I jump out with both feet to walk up to my aunt's house and my feet didn't even really, settle on the ground. When my feet hit the ground, they immediately slipped out from under me. And the back of my I fell in such a way that the back of my head banged on the bottom door frame or on the bottom frame of my truck. And I went unconscious. And I, I don't know how long I was unconscious for it. It wasn't that long because it was freezing outside and I didn't have like frostbite or anything like that. So, but it was probably for a couple of minutes. And then I came to, and I got up and brushed myself off and walked into my aunt's house. And of course, I'm a guy. I thought I was fine. I've had concussions before. You know, I played sports when I was in high school. I know, what a, I know what a concussion is. I know what it feels like. So I go in, but immediately my family notices that I'm acting very strange. And I describe what happened and suddenly realized that I didn't have my phone. Somebody to go out and find my phone. And over the course of the evening, it became more and more evident that I was experiencing a concussion. And so my aunt, who was a nurse, did a concussion protocol on I me and she said, You know, you have a concussion. And I thought, okay, I've had concussions, whatever. You know, this isn't that big of a deal. So I slept in Indianapolis that night rather than driving home. And the next day I drove home and my wife and I got on a plane and flew to Salt Lake City in Utah. And um, I thought, I, cause I thought, you know, I've had a concussion before, but it's not the end of the world. You know, you just get some rest and you know, you'll be fine. That's what I've always done. And so I get to Utah and I slept the whole time there. We we're there for four days. It was for a business trip for our business. And so Katrina was involved in all of the different things related to the business. And I was just in the hotel sleeping. And so we get home and over the course of the next week, we actually noticed that the symptoms are not getting better, but they're actually getting worse. So eventually we go to the hospital and then go to the doctor. And then we're eventually after about two weeks, we we're able to find a doctor that's actually able to help us because Hussians are kind of an unknown quantity in the medical community. And so this doctor does a battery of tests on me and tells me you have post concussion syndrome. Okay. What's post concussion syndrome? Well, post concussion syndrome is when your brain doesn't recover from a concussion the way that most people normally do, and there's a variety of different factors that cause it. And the re- reality of the matter is they don't even fully understand everything that causes it. Like one of the things I've learned in this whole journey is there's a lot that doctors don't understand about our brain. We, they give off the impression that they know so much about everything, but this journey has taught me that even neurologists that spend 12 years of school learning about the brain still don't know actually very much about the brain. And so he tells me I have post concussion syndrome, and then it's probably going to take me a minimum of six months to recover, but it could take up to two years. And then eventually we found out over the course of a bunch of research that actually some of the symptoms could be permanent, they could be lifelong. Um, from post, um, that's called, um, I don't remember what it's called long term post concussion syndrome is basically the idea. So that first couple of weeks after the concussion was really difficult for me, because what the doctor told me I needed to do was go home, lay down in a dark room, and don't use your brain at all. And I don't know if you've ever, he said, don't think about anything. And I don't know if you've ever tried to not think about anything. But it's a very hard thing to not think about anything, and then you start thinking about something, and then you get frustrated because you're not supposed to be thinking about anything, and that stirs your brain up more. And so now you're thinking about that. And the, the hardest thing I've ever really had to do in my life was to try to figure out how to not think about anything. And so I wasn't allowed to read. I wasn't allowed to listen to audio books. I wasn't allowed to watch TV. I wasn't allowed to, you know, anything. I had to sit in a dark room, twenty four hours a day for two weeks and not
0: do anything, Jeez.
1: and that was really challenging for me. And then I would go out of the room to go to do therapy, these eye therapy, these cognitive eye therapies with this doctor, and then come home and go back into the dark room for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I don't remember how long it was. It seemed like an eternity. But one of the really disconcerting things that happened during that season was that all of my training in theology was gone. So I spent my entire life studying theology. I mean, I said earlier, the first book that I ever read cover to cover was the Bible. The second book I ever read cover to cover was Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which is really interesting. I went from – that's how you know that's the power of God at work in that. I went from being virtually illiterate to the second book I ever read was Wayne Mm -hmm. Grudem's 1,800-page Systematic Theology, you know? And I've always loved doctrine and theology. It's always been a passion of mine to study. And I spent, I was 15 at that point, 16, whatever it was. And at that point I was 39, 38, 39. So 23 years I'd spent studying doctrine and theology (laughs) and it was all gone. I couldn't think about it. It was like everything that I'd ever studied and learned that whole box was just dark. And we didn't know what was going to happen. You know, Katrina and I, I mean, we had very difficult, painful conversations where it was like, if this comes back, I may not, if this doesn't come back, I may not be able to serve as a pastor. I might have to start all over again, you know, and and I could remember the things that I could draw to mind as I could remember the scripture that I'd memorized, which was tremendously helpful, but I could not think doctrine and theology, I could not think in those categories, that part of my brain was just completely dark. And so one thing that I could do, um, after the first couple of weeks, one of the things that I could do was I could pray. And so I started spending just a lot of time in prayer. And I had already been practicing this habit of communing with the Lord, starting in, in you know, October, November of the previous year. And so I started just communing with the Lord. I started just praying day and night, just spending hours and hours in prayer, and just seeking to draw near to God and knowing the scripture that I knew, because mm. I couldn't really read. And as time progressed, I was able to like listen to music. So I would turn on some music and I would sing praises to God. And late into the night, because I couldn't sleep, I had severe insomnia. Late into the night, I would just spend time before the throne of God's grace, just praying and seeking to commune with the spirit of god and it was like the spirit of god in that season ministered to me in a way that i have never experienced in the entirety of my christian walk before that i mean he drew near to me and he ministered to me um the comforting presence i mean the the word the the now that i eventually that theology box did come back by the way um but You know, so theologians, you know, or Christian, like the the word theologians choose for that is the manifest, Mm -hmm. the manifest presence of the Spirit of God. He's always there, but sometimes he makes it manifestly known that he's there. And I was experiencing (sighs) really, it only, uh, that only happened a few other times in my life, but I was experiencing this presence of the Holy Spirit in long stretches of time really for the first time i mean i had had some of that but in terms of like long extended periods of time of worship in the presence of the spirit of god right uh this was the first time i had ever experienced anything like that and i couldn't do theology or anything like that i could read the bible and i could pray and i could commune with the spirit of god and god really used that to encourage me and to strengthen me as I was going through this difficulty. And there would be times in my life when I would there would be times in late into the night when I would just be crying, literally crying, weeping before the Lord and calling out to God. And he came near and comforted and strengthened me. And um, when I was able, not long after that, I got to the point where I could start reading the scripture again. I kind of told the doctor, it was like maybe three weeks in. He's like, you know, you really shouldn't be reading anything at this point. And I said, well, I, I'm going to read the Bible. And I kind of just told him that's what I'm going to do. So um, and uh, my wife kind of told the doctor when he gets like that, you just don't argue with him. you know. Um, and so I said, I'm going to I'm going to spend some time reading the Bible because I, I want to I want to commune with the Lord in the reading of the scripture, as well as in the this time of prayer and so forth. And so god really drew me into passages like psalm 63 he drew me into passages like of course romans 8 like the the pages of romans 8 in my bible are stained with my tears as i have <laughs> drawn near to god in that you know and um god really used uh one of the one of the passages that god used that was so powerful was actually the 23rd psalm which we always think of like um think of funerals when we think of the 23rd psalm for some reason which is weird because that's really not what it's about but one of the things i learned um in the 23rd psalm you know so the lord is my shepherd i shall not want right he makes me walk by um still waters and it kind of goes through the whole thing there and it comes to the point a point in the passage where it says though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that that phrase right. there is very interesting right. because when it's right. talking about the valley of the shadow of death there, it's not actually, it's not talking about physical death, um, but there's poetry being used there. There's Hebrew poetry involved in that phrase. The valley of the shadow of death for a shepherd is when a shepherd's leading his sheep down into the valley, And he gets to the point in a valley where he can't see where he's going but he also can't see where he was coming from And so he's down in the valley and that's the valley of the shadow of death and it's a very dangerous place for a shepherd to be with sheep because you don't know what's ahead but you can't see you can't go back to what what's behind right that's the valley of the shadow of death and the scripture says though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death I fear no evil, because you are with me, your rod, and your staff, they comfort me. And God really used that passage to encourage Hmm. me and strengthen me that I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's where I was at, it's like, everything in my life has changed. The way that my brain operates has fundamentally changed essential aspects of my personality have fundamentally changed because of this brain injury. And there was a very real sense over the course of those first six to eight months where it was like, we have no idea what the future holds. But one thing we know for sure is that things are never going to be the same as they were in the past, ever. That's done. Whatever was happening back then, that's over. And God is moving us to something yeah. different. He's taking us through this and on the other side of this things are going to be different. I don't know exactly how they're going to be different. So we're in the valley of the shadow of death, literally, we can't go back where we came from, because that's gone. And we have no idea what things are going to look like in the future. And God sort of showed me this picture in the 23rd Psalm, where it's like the Spirit Mm, of God came to me in the valley of the shadow of death, and ministered to me and strengthened me and encouraged me and showed me despite the fact that your whole life has changed because of this. And despite the fact that you have no idea what the future holds, I am with you here. And so just be here. I am with you here. Be here and be with me and commune with me because I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death. And the scripture teaches these things about our suffering that You know, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the word blessed there literally means happy. Happy are the sad for they will be comforted. It's like, there's some blessing that God gives you when you struggle that you don't get any other time. And the blessing is his presence in the midst of your struggling and God is present with you in your struggle in a certain way that is different than every other time. And you know the you know the scripture says he binds the wounds of the brokenhearted. And having God bind your wounds is a kind of comfort that you receive from God that you never experience any other time in your walk with
0: the Lord. Right? Amen. Amen. Well, that's uh, wow, buddy. Uh, And I I just pray that people who might be listening to your testimony, buddy, um, they might draw some comfort from this, you know what I mean? Um, Because you can name your poison, buddy, but, you know, the way life is, you're either coming out of a battle, you know, going into a battle um, coming out of a struggle going into a struggle you know it's pretty much what life is like in this you know poor fallen world that we find ourselves in but it is in those dark places brother you know and obviously in your case brother you, you you are very limited I mean it's it's one thing to to suffer an injury It's another thing to suffer an injury, and then all the strengths that has sustained you in times past, you know, they're gone, they're removed, and what do you have left? You know, what do I have left? And that's when the Holy Spirit is so precious and so powerful, you know?
1: That is the the thing that I've learned in this is like uh, God took, literally took everything in terms of my mental ability and so much of what I depended on to do the sorts of ministries and things like that, that I do. God took it away and replaced it with himself. You know what I mean? And in a very, very <laughs> real sense, you know?
0: Well, and, and I it's will like tell a, you, brother, it was, um, uh... And I I knew, I mean, I I was walking with you through this, so I I, kind of knew a lot of what was going on. But what really sealed the deal for me, brother, to realize what all the Lord was accomplishing through this trial was when I heard from my, you know, from my family, from, you know, fellow OSA saints, and they're going like, I know. Darren has suffered this concussion, his brain may never be the same, but boy, the anointing on his life, you know, the unction of the Holy Spirit that's coming through his lips. We, 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 you know, in other words, brother, they, they always knew that you were a, a, a very uh, capable preacher and teacher of God's word. That, that was never in question, brother. I mean, you, you were just as solid as solid can be every time that you ministered. You know what I mean? But I'm telling you, brother, when you lost your strengths, oh, man, the Holy Spirit was just showing up and there was a clear, they, 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 it, was, it was tangible, brother. They, you, you said you could cut it like a knife, like the, when you were speaking, brother, the, the Holy Spirit was manifesting His presence and His power and the saints brother were like they were just like blown away because they they know your background you know what i mean they 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 know your studies they they know you know the your your logical you know rational mind and how you approach things and you know and your your academic prowess you know they they knew all that and but i'm telling you, brother after this when you went through all that and I know, and I know you, you like you re injured yourself several times during this period. Right. I mean, you, you, you've yeah, gone through five a few. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five concussions
1: total so far.
0: Jeez. So is, 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 has it been like a one step forward, two step backward deal? Well, it's kind of weird.
1: Uh, okay. So a couple things, um, this verse uh, I want to share, I want to read it. Um, I think it's, been one of the most important verses in the Bible for me. Um, It's the Apostle first Corinthians 12, or second Corinthians 12, you know, he talks about the thorn in the flesh. Um, And in verse nine, he says, um, this is what God says to Paul, when Paul asked him to remove the thorn in the flesh. He says, um, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecution and hardship, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This verse is the thing. Second Corinthians twelve nine and yeah. ten. Amen. This verse is the thing that God has taught me in this struggle that I've been going through is that God, and I think it was Leonard Ravenhill that said it, but I don't know. I don't remember for sure if it was him, but somebody like him, you know, one of the things, and I I, I never read the book that he said this in, but I heard Paul Washer quote it. I just can't remember who he quoted. But one of the things he said is God never uses a man fully until he breaks him.
0: God yeah, has to break the, a man. The, yeah, He's got to break
1: a man down to use him.
0: It's, it's, uh, I think the actual quote, it is doubtless. God can greatly use a man. He is not deeply hurt. And, uh, boy, there's a lot of truth to that. It's
1: like, I'm, I'm learning that. And it's like, I tell Katrina, I've had funny discussions about this. Cause like. Um, I'll, I'll say, and her and I are in two different places on this. She'll say, I'm thankful for the way that God has used the concussion for the sake of the kingdom of God. She'll say that. And I, I say yes, and amen to that. But people will ask me, they'll say, would you trade the way things are between you and the Spirit of God now and the way that he works when you minister? Would you trade that? Or having your mind back, so to speak, you know, pre concussion. And I tell people all the time, no, I wouldn't trade it. And that's the thing Katrina and I joke about, because she's like, I don't know, I might be willing to make that trade. Um, right, right, right. But, but because, well, you got to think, the thing you got to recognize for her is that many aspects of my personality have even changed as a result of this concussion. Yeah. Yeah. But when I first – when I got into the pulpit the first time to preach after the concussion, I didn't even know how to prepare because of the, those aspects of my brain were so impacted and then changed so much. There are many times now, and that first time was an example, but there are many times where it's like I've studied and prayed and studied and prayed and studied and prayed, and I have no notes. I have some idea what I think the Lord wants me to say. And it's not a lack of study and prayer that keeps me from bringing notes into the pulpit it's just like i'm gonna get up there and i'm gonna open the word of god and i'm gonna preach and the spirit of god is gonna show up and he's gonna anoint me and he's gonna speak through me Amen. and um that's not me there's no, I can't take any credit for it. I don't have any, it's not anything based on my own ability anymore. And that's what you were talking about earlier, like, the ability to give a good sermon, the ability to speak the knowledge of theology, all of those things do play into it. It's not as though God doesn't use a man when he works through him. It's not as though God doesn't use that man aspects of that man when he works through him. But there are many times when I get up to preach, even after the study, and so on and so forth. that it's like, Um, I'm just now sitting on the front row of the pew of the pulpit or sitting on the front row of the pew, getting ready to go into the pulpit, pleading with God to show up in the power of his spirit, because I just know that if he doesn't anoint the preaching of his word, that it's not, it's not going to have the same power as it would if I did it in my own strength or whatever else the case may be, I've learned that. And God in that way has sort of remade me in the ministry that he's called me to. And many times over the course of those, those months that I was really struggling with the concussion, God made evident to me over and over and over again. I called you to preach. Do not abandon the ministry of the word. That is the thing that I've called you to, despite whatever else happens. I've called you to preach. Don't abandon that. And I probably would have if he hadn't made that clear to me over the course right. of that time. Amen. And so when I get up to preach, um, I know now, without any doubt, it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of his word that transforms the lives of people. It's not cutesy, you know, things about me. It's not nuancing the thing in this certain way or anything like that. There's right. something to be said for those types of things. And I'm not saying that they're, that's all bad but the spirit of God transforms the lives of his people through the preaching of his word when he anoints the preaching of his word and works through that preacher. And I think there's genuine truth in the idea that God has to break a man to bring him to a place where
0: he can be used in that way. Amen. Well, brother, obviously, I, you know, you don't want to see your friends or a good brother like you, you know, go through that trial because I, you know, Cause I know personally the toll it took upon you your your bride uh, Katrina who's been a champ through this entire thing yes yeah, and is. then of course your your kiddos you know what I mean because it wasn't just you going down that dark oh, tunnel yeah. you know your entire family and ministry and church you know and your friends and yeah. your family and brothers from abroad you know we we walked a little bit of that journey with you um, but I, I can tell you this, Darren, he, God has done a tremendous work in and through your life, buddy. And, um, and again, you, we don't know. We, we don't know if you're ever going to get those strengths back. But the fact of the matter is, if this is your weakness from here on out, but through that, God himself shows up and shows himself strong, psh, as a minister of the gospel of the kingdom, but uh, nothing comes close to that. Right. Amen. I mean, Amen. To, to be in, to be in the presence of God and, and, and experiencing his power working in and through us, brother, I have tasted a lot of what this world has to offer. I have drunk my belly full of death and nothing. And I mean, nothing, Comes even close to being in the presence of God, and have the anointing of the Holy Spirit rest upon your life and work through you to touch and change the lives of others. That is such an awesome, powerful gift, and I I know that it's cost you um, uh, to obtain it, um, but it's there, and and God is working through you in a mighty way in that regard, brother. So we're going to have to. Kind of close this out, bro. We've been going at it for quite some time. <laughs> we might have to do two two so long episodes episode. <laughs> here. <laughs> but but anyway, I did want to close us out, brother, because like I said, we when we started this, we talked about we're going to have um, the OSA national event, uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And so before we close out the interview, brother, just uh, give a you know a short plug and promo. Uh, invite the folks on out, kind of let them know, you know, what uh, is coming up, what to expect, you know, uh, the the vision and mission of the gathering, uh, so we can encourage people uh, to come out to Atlanta.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate all of your encouragement, and um, you really did walk with me through all of these things that I've been going through, and so I can't express how much I appreciate that and how beneficial that has been for me and my family. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, Operation Save America National Event is in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and that's July 17th through the 22nd. Uh, It's gonna be at Praise Mill Church, which is a huge praise. Um, Pastor Josh Bice out there, G3 Ministries. uh, We had a great meeting with him and Virgil Walker when we were there in Georgia last month. They're 100% on board with what we're doing uh the theme of the event is unity in the battle and so we're going to talk about unity what it is how it operates in the body of christ when we're fighting in a battle we got a lot of great speakers Uh, like i said josh bice virgil walker um jason uh jason obviously jason and i will be speaking as well rusty i believe you're going to be speaking at the rally that we're having at the capitol there um, and so there's several, i my brain is, um, I know, uh, we're going to be having a panel discussion. I do want to mention this before I get off here, we're going to be having a panel discussion with, um, a, a, group of brothers that I think will be tremendously beneficial to the kingdom on Friday. And so if you can get there on Friday, that'll especially be good. Um, that'll be among a variety of different perspectives, talking about the importance of criminalizing abortion and how we're going to go about accomplishing that. So definitely be there for that. And then, of course, we talk a lot about speakers and things like that. But Operation Save America, when we come, it's not a conference; it's a mission. And so, we are going to be on the streets every day, the July uh, second, July seventeenth to the twenty-second, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the streets of Atlanta. We're going to be distributing literature. We're going to be holding signs. We're going to be preaching the gospel. We're going to be trying to save babies, and we're going to be lobbying politicians with the gospel of the kingdom while we're there and so it's not just a conference but it's a mission and i want to invite you to join us uh at for the mission uh july 17th through the 22nd unity in the battle um and at praise mill uh church right there in atlanta georgia
0: wow praise god well awesome bro well i want to thank you so much buddy for taking the time uh thanks so much and um and uh, God willing, I'll be catching up with you guys uh, at the end of the national event in, in, in Atlanta. Look forward to hugging your neck and, uh, and being with you guys. And uh, so praise the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, that's going to conclude uh, this episode, the interview with Pastor Darren Stid. And as usual, I admonish you to keep pressing on to the high call and prize. God bless you saints in Jesus name till next time